We'll keep uh, the Trinity Psalter hymnal open and turn with me now for our catechism reading to the back, back section where the numbering is found at the bottom of the page. And we're going to turn to page 888 for Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 33, beginning with question 88, and we'll move down to question 91. Let's read these responsively. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ, and a love and a delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith conform to God's law and are done for His glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now that we have heard Scripture read and now summarized for us. We'll ask for the Spirit's help. O Spirit of God, we pray now for Your illuminating grace that our hearts may be truly open to receive Your Word, that it might be planted deeply in the soil of our hearts and produce the fruit that is keeping with good works. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit belong all glory and honor, world without end. Amen. The Heidelberg Catechism is divided into three sections. And if you've been with us for any time now, hopefully you know that it is divided into guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. That's not only the approach to the catechism, but it's a pretty good way to read the Bible. You come to any passage of Scripture, whether it is expressly put in the passage or it's there by implication, it is a healthy practice to come asking, how does this passage show me my guilt before God? How does this passage reveal the grace of God in Jesus Christ? And how does this passage reveal my response in gratitude to God? Those are the three sections of the catechism. And we've heard a lot at this point about both our guilt and the grace of Jesus Christ. And last week we began looking at the third and the final section, gratitude. A transformed life is a life of gratitude because anyone who knows anything about their own sins knows that if Jesus did not intervene with his love and his mercy and his grace that we would perish everlastingly and so the fact that Christ has now done something to deal with this sin means that we must respond to him with a transformed life we respond with obedience Question and answer 90 of our catechism calls this wholehearted joy in God through Christ. 
What does it look like to live a life of repentance, of turning away from sin and turning to Christ? It means we are putting to death that old person. We are crucifying the dead Adam inside of us. We've been born and conceived in sin, Psalm 51 told us. That old self must be drowned in the waters of baptism, as it were. And we must keep drowning it. And we make alive the new self. What does that making alive look like? It is wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And a love and a delight to live according to the will of God. By doing every kind of good work. So the next time you were tempted to think, oh, you reformed folks are so just, you're, you're so filled with, with crotchetiness and, and all you ever want to talk about is sin and only about predestination. That's all you guys ever want to talk about. Not only is that just a caricature, but here it is in our catechism, the link between obedience and joy. It is a joyful thing to live in Christian obedience. Responding to the grace of Jesus Christ with a life offered back to him to say thank you. And so, beloved, this evening I want us to focus our attention on this link that is throughout the scriptures, but we see in some of the passages we've already read. Psalm 51, for instance, as David is repenting of the awful sin of adultery, he turns back to God in renewed obedience and he says to God, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let the bones you have broken rejoice, he says. Now, this is metaphorical bone breaking that's going on. It hurts to repent. It hurts to crucify the sinful flesh. And David says now, as that old self is being put to death, the new self is being made alive, he says, restore the joy. Obedience is connected to joy in the Christian faith. How do we come to know this? We come to know this by recognizing three particular things about good works, which are highlighted for us in question and answer 91. And that's going to guide our reflections this evening. First, we're going to learn where they come from. Where do good works come from? What's their source? Second, how is it that they come from us? We're the ones doing them, so how, is that, how does that work? By what means do they proceed from us? And third, where are they aimed? What is the goal of good works? That first point, where good works come from. Good works come from true faith. Good works come from true faith. That phrase, that concept of true faith is central to the catechism. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. You are made righteous. You are declared righteous in God's sight when you, with a true faith, cling to Jesus Christ and all of his benefits. It is from that same true faith that good works now proceed. In John chapter 15, which we read earlier, it is the night before Jesus' death. And he speaks to them in a prolonged manner about abiding in him and bearing fruit. Listen to the connection that he makes between these two things. Abiding in Jesus and bearing good fruit. John 15 verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, 
You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As I mentioned earlier, this is one of Jesus' most famous metaphors. There's the vine, the branches, and the fruit. And he identifies these things for us. He tells us what he's talking about. He is divine. And his followers are the branches. And the branches are alive as they continue in their connection to the vine. And that living branch will bear fruit. It's alive. That's what it does. It bears fruit. And that bearing of fruit is Jesus' metaphor for good works. What comes from a living Christian? Good works. Just as a healthy living branch must bear fruit, a healthy living Christian must perform good works. Why? Is it to satisfy the wrath of God? No. And we are always tempted to go back to this and to get this twisted. But our good works merit nothing in the sight of God. Rather, it is simply the nature of the case. It's the nature of the case that a healthy Christian will bear fruit. Just like a a living branch will bear fruit. As Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You must have that connection to Jesus. He's the vine. Jesus says that we must abide in him if we're going to produce the fruit of good works. What does this mean to abide? The same word shows up in other passages of Scripture translated slightly differently. It can mean to remain in, to continue with. That kind of helps us to understand what's going on here. It describes an inward communion with Jesus. To abide in Him is to maintain that connection with Jesus Christ. Life with Him. He says it for us in verse 3. Abide in me, and I in you. That's communion with Jesus Christ. This is the relationship that is brought about through true faith. And this is why we say that good works only come from true faith. That's where they proceed from. True faith is how we cling to Jesus Christ So that all that he is and all that he has comes to us. It becomes our possession. He is ours. We are his. His merits become ours. His intercession in heaven becomes ours. True faith brings about that relationship of continuing on with Jesus Christ. That's what it is to abide in him. And it is only in that Relationship that we have any hope of producing good works. That's where it comes from. Apart from me, apart from communion with Jesus Christ and the true faith, which brings about that communion, Jesus says you can do nothing. It would be like cutting a branch off of a vine, off of a tree, and saying, bear fruit, being frustrated with it because it's not bearing fruit. It doesn't make any sense. He must be connected to the vine. And so our catechism summarizes in question 91. It says, what are good works? 
The first answer is only those which are done out of true faith. Loved ones, do you want to be more productive in holiness? Do you want to be more successful in killing sinful habits? Do you want more victory in putting to death the old self, making alive the new? You must rest in Christ. That's where the power comes from. It is found in Jesus Christ. You must rest in Him and you must allow His Holy Spirit to convince you again today that that's where good works proceed. Remember, it is His blood that frees you from the tyranny of the devil and from the tyranny of your own sins. You are dead in sins apart from Jesus Christ. But if you are connected with Him and are abiding in Him through true faith, then you will certainly continue on with Him and good works will certainly begin to come from you. Secondly, how do good works come from us? Now, I'm not saying we are the source of them. We've just said that Christ is the source of them, and we receive that through true faith. But what I mean, what I mean here by saying how do they come from us is that we're the ones performing these good works. How is that then? What's the means by which these good works come from us? After all, we are sinners. We are still bent towards sin. We may be bearing fruit, But sometimes we are still exposed to harsh, dangerous elements. And so we lean, we bend, we get scorched. And we are still bent toward ourselves with sin. So the question really is on the table, how do we even know what a good work is? What tells us? How do we know that we're doing that? Performing works that are in in keeping with God's righteousness. The answer is anything that is conformed to God's law. They must be performed in true faith. We've seen that. Now we see they must be conformed to God's law. That's the second answer in question and answer 91. We conform ourselves and our actions, our thoughts, our words and deeds to the good and holy commandments found in God's word. When I was in school, teachers were still using transparencies. Do you remember these things? They put them on a projector. And uh, we got to return to the old paths. That's how we should be teaching our children these days. Transparencies, kids, if you don't know what these are, transparencies are little plastic things that look like a piece of paper, but they're see-through. So you can look through them. They're transparent. You can look through them. And uh, a teacher would put them on a projector, and then it would be projected on a screen. And because it was clear and plastic, the teacher could write on it. You could draw on it. Or if you were, I saw this in art class sometimes, where you were trying to figure out how to draw something, so you would put your transparency over a picture, and you could sketch out, you could could trace a picture, okay? Now, I want you to think about drawing a picture of a house on a transparency. Maybe you've done it pretty accurately. Maybe it looks pretty good. Then you put a photograph of the real house behind your transparency and suddenly you see all the imperfections and you see that your the tip of your marker is it's too thick so all your lines are kind of messed up and they're too round the photograph's the real thing and now you've got your transparency your attempt your your lined image on top of it 
And uh, you take your eraser and you're trying to get the lines a little more in conformity with it. That is what it is like to conform ourselves to God's law. All of our thoughts and our words and our deeds, all of our actions and behaviors, it's like us trying to draw a picture on that transparency. And more and more, we've got to hold it up to the real thing. And we've got to conform it more to the true standard of righteousness that is found in God's commandments. And with His help, with the Spirit's renewing grace inside of us, He makes us more and more like Jesus, and He conforms our actions more and more to His law. Is it ever done perfectly? Never. As the Catechism will go on to say later, even the holiest of people have only begun a small amount of this holiness. So we never begin to lean toward that perfection and get close to that perfection of of God's law. The point that is being made here is that God's law is the standard. You want to know whether or not what you're doing and thinking and saying is a good work. It must be held up to God's law. It must be conformed to his holy commandments. This is why we read a portion from Leviticus 19. Several of those commandments probably seemed familiar because they're paraphrasing the Ten Commandments. So as more individual commandments come in the scriptures, as, the, as Israel was living its life in the wilderness or in the land, and they had to figure out how to, how to live righteously in different situations, they always had to go back to God's commandments, conforming themselves more to His law. And that's what we do in the Christian life. There are only those works which come from true faith and are conformed to God's Law. And so we ask the Holy Spirit not only to make us more aware of God's law, but powerfully to conform us in all that we think and say and do to that law. That's why it's so important that we hear God speak His law to us every week and every day, especially when we gather for worship. And then we come and we say, We have not lived up to this standard, and we, we willingly acknowledge our sins. And ask for his forgiveness. This is part of what the Spirit is doing within us. Conforming us and our works to his law. Lastly this evening. We learn where good works are aimed. Where are they aimed? They are aimed at the glory of God. They're aimed at the glory of God. That's the third part of the answer in question and answer 91. What are good works? Only those that are performed in true faith, that are conformed to God's law, and now that are done for the glory of God. That's the ultimate end and goal of every work in a Christian's life, is that God would be glorified. There are all kinds of good things that happen as a result of our obedience. Just read Proverbs. It tends to be that when you obey the commandments, all kinds of blessings proceed from that and result from it. But the ultimate aim is that we would glorify the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is where true joy comes from. Is to know that at the end of the day, we're not building our own platform. We're not praising and honoring ourselves. We're honoring the one who has turned us away from sin and turned us toward himself in true righteousness and holiness. 
We're giving honor and acclaim to God. What results from this is joy. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ. We read from Colossians chapter 3 earlier. Paul shows us how to walk in repentance. Listen to where the aim of our good works is. As we repent in the Christian life. And fill our lives up with good works. He says... In verse 2 of Colossians 3, set your minds on things that are above, where Christ is. That's the aim. Our works are to be aimed heavenward to the glory of God. Or as Paul says even more clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Glorifying something means that you are giving it its due honor. And we are meant to lay our whole selves on the altar of gratitude to God. Our whole life is meant to be a living sacrifice of thanks to God. When we are in the action of glorifying Him, we are saying that He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our whole selves. Our works are to be offered to Him with just such a goal. Loved ones in Christ, we have spoken a lot already in our catechism series this year about the role of works. And we have talked in many ways that if we're not careful, it can sound like we are not about good works. And that is the charge sometimes against Protestants. Because we say we're justified by faith alone, apart from works. Now it seems like, well, you can just kind of live your life doing what you want. Or as I've heard many times... You Reformed Christians talk an awful lot about predestination. Well, if you're predestined, then you can just be any old drunk walking down the street and hating God. But because you're predestined, then it's done. It doesn't matter. You can live your life however you want. Neither of these things are true. We are pro-good works. Let's just get that straight. But we are pro-good works in their proper place. Our works merit nothing in the sight of God. Christ merits everything in the sight of God, and we want to say thank you. How do we say thank you? How do we say thank you? We conform ourselves to the law of God. We abide in Christ by true faith, and we aim to glorify the God who has saved us. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask for your help now as we hear this exhortation to live a life of good works and gratitude to you, to bring it about by your word and spirit as you conform us more and more to the image of your Son. Do this and more we ask and pray for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.